So here's another question. This is from Eileen. Um, were there searches of Doreen's remains other than the property at 1316 or Huntington State Park and what methods were used? Um, the, the, the thing is, that's a little up in the air as it is, the search of 1316, um, because there's varying answers on if there was ever a search of that property at all. I've never. So when I spoke to uh, Sergeant then Sergeant Cifarelli about this, he told me I could ask him objective questions, yes or no questions, or specifically factual questions. I wasn't allowed to ask his thoughts on it. Okay, fine. So I made a list that we should probably go over on another sure. um, podcast. I think that would be great. But I made a list of questions. And despite my very specific, detailed, factual questions about what and when and how searches in the house at Huntington State Park and in other places. He did say multiple times, I'm going to have to get back to you on that. I'm going to have to look in the file. But that was despite having my um, my questions. Jim Farnham doesn't remember a search of the property by the police. He remembers the septic system um, coming out clean. And, and that was by a private investigator. By Richard Novia, right. And okay. it sounds, I know that Sergeant Cifarelli told me that when they looked at the house, because they did not look at it in 1988, when they looked at it in July of 1989, there was still glass on the floor from the broken window and the screen was torn. I believe the window had been replaced. Again, I'm going to, hey guys, I'm going to have to go back into my file and look at that. But, um, you know, I just saw this. Um, this is from Rebecca, who I was looking back in the followers page. Um, she writes, I just, binge I just binge listened and I'm bummed I missed getting a question in for the listener questions. Now, she wrote this back in May. For some detective work, my theory is that Mark Vincent hit her and she actually fell out of the window. However, to cover it up, he went in the middle of the night to burglarize a replacement window. Stealing a broken one might not get reported. It took him those three to five days to replace the window, clean up, and secret away any mess below the window. I wonder if any thefts were reported of construction materials on that night. Sharon said he disappeared until 3 a.m. I don't have information on that. Well, again, I've always thought it was weird because he was out. He left after Sharon supposedly got home that evening, that Wednesday night, the 15th, vanished for the night, and then left again in the morning saying he was going to be doing the same thing he told her he was doing the night before. Which was tell Donna. Which was to go and tell Donna, which we, we know obviously wouldn't happen for three more days. Mm -hmm. So what exactly was he doing that night? That really is anybody's guess. Mm -hmm. And um, would be something I would love to ask Mark about if ever given the opportunity uh, to sit with him. And I want to say one thing about Mark. Mark has been very polite. Mm. on the telephone and mm. via text message. He's he's actually been very polite. I, I should mention that. Yeah. It, it's it, it's um you know given given the subject and given our relationship, he's never really been outwardly rude to me and uh, I just want to thank Mark for that. Okay, let me <laughs> let me challenge that a little bit because the next question from Rebecca is also, has anyone corroborated her, that's Sharon's alibi, with other church members? A lot has been made on the followers page recently about the five-hour church service. Right. Um, for clarification, she did not take those children to it. Sarah and Paul were home with Mark, as well as Doreen. Um, there is one man who 
I have gotten in touch with because he was in the same church as Mark. Don't forget, he denied knowing Mark and screamed at me and hung up the phone on me when I asked him some questions. He's, he was very uncomfortable. That might not mean anything. Sure, Maybe he just doesn't not. want to be associated with Mark. Um, but he was Mark's church friend. Um, when you brought that man's name up with Mark, and in connection with Jimmy Farnham, you said, there's this one guy who's very uncomfortable about talking about you. He was a church friend of yours. Um, we've talked to Jimmy Farnham. Jimmy Farnham has a lot to say that's confusing or not factually accurate. That's when Mark got mad at you. I think that was probably the one time that he's ever come at you. And yeah, I, it's weird. I don't. I can't understand why. It's like I push some buttons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just can't put my finger on it. Oh. Hmm. I wonder. <laughs> okay, here's a question from Skip um, that we can't elaborate on, but um, has Doreen's family ever looked into a civil lawsuit? The short answer is yes, they have looked into it. I am currently courting an attorney mm-hmm. who I believe would definitely take the case and... I'm pretty sure it would be a worst nightmare situation for Wallingford. Yeah. So mm-hmm. well, I'll, have, yeah. I'll have more on that as I continue to develop that process. Well, okay. also even maybe a wrongful death lawsuit against Mark because the, the standard of evidence in that is 50-50. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt like in a criminal trial. Yep. Um, there's a lot to be said. There's a lot of questions that need to be asked. OJ was found guilty right sure yeah oj was Um, found guilty again sometimes in those circumstantial cases where it's hard to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt uh civil lawsuit as you said you just have to it's got to be tilted uh 51 49 and you're golden yes who's the who's the guy that killed bonnie lee bakley in LA, remember he left the gun behind in that Italian restaurant. Oh, Robert Blake. Robert Blake yes. was found civilly responsible. Of OJ was found civilly responsible. Rebecca Zahau, that woman who allegedly threw herself out of that. Um, oh, Rebecca Zahau, that's correct. California yeah, yeah, mansion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, her, the brother-in-law was found civilly responsible for her death because, again, we're at a 50-50 level of proof. We're not at the criminal 99% level anymore. There's a lot of work that can be done within those parameters. The problem becomes with the Wallingford Police Department is that they have um, immunity for things like this because, you know, it's it's their work in, in the course of being a police um, officer or detective that, you know, the public generally is not allowed to bring those things into question. But that doesn't mean to say it can't be done. And I'm, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about it. It'd be great if it could all be avoided and it could all simply be avoided with a little cooperation and some teamwork. Yeah. I think it would go a long way for the family. And I can't speak for Donna and the family because, you know, this has been bringing up a lot of, you know, hard feelings and memories and, and just sadness among them. And I, I know there are days where they don't want to deal with it anymore and I wouldn't either, but I think it would go a long way to um, to give Doreen a proper burial and have her rest in peace that might make people feel a little bit better about what has and hasn't gone on in this case. Here's a question from Skip again. Um, is Teen Challenge or any of its members following the podcast? And actually, yes, um, there's actually quite a few members of Teen Challenge who 
not only are they listening to the podcast, they've reached out to us and there's even some of them in the followers of Faded Out group. Um, I know that there's been a few of them who have private messaged me on Facebook. Um, I'm hoping to talk to some of them a little bit more because these particular ones have, have worked with Mark and they know Mark personally from being at Teen Challenge. They're very interested in the podcast. Um, they haven't necessarily been defensive or anything like that. They've been very curious and wanting to know more about this case. Um, because one thing I will tell you is that it seems that it's not something Mark ever talks about. Uh, the fact that his daughter has been a missing person for 31 years. It's not something that has ever come up in all that time. And it just seems, you know, if you worked with somebody closely and one day you found out that their daughter or their child had been missing for over three decades, that would be pretty shocking of a thing to find out and then to find out all the information that we've uncovered just in the course of this podcast too. So I think... The people from Teen Challenge who we've been in touch with and we've been messaging back and forth with, um, they're very interested. Um, they want to know more about what's going on. And um, I'm hoping to talk to them a lot more. I've also spoken to a couple of people from Teen Challenge who have expressed that he has a temper and it scares them. Knowing some more of the story mm -hmm. and um it it again you know there there's a lot of people in mark's world who are listening to the podcast who are actively uh trying to help us acquire new information and um the walls are closing in i'll just mm -hmm. say that well and i want to keep those people safe because they're all off the record mm -hmm. um Everything that they share with us bears out in everything that we've learned about this person. So the stories that they tell us are very much in keeping with what we already know. Again, when I say that I've gotten to know Mark Vincent, it's been through communications with Mark, but also people that knew Mark 30 years ago, people that know Mark now. Mm -hmm. I, I, I've, I've developed a very uh, thorough, I think, character analysis of who this person is. And and so again, when I if I choose a specific word, there's a lot that went into that. And and while you're not seeing it, again, I'd be I'd be happy to um unveil a lot of 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 the process with to which I developed my theories and and why I use the words that I use in referring to him. Here's a question regarding Donna's side of the family, because not all of the questions are about Mark. Barb Scoville wants to know, uh, did Doreen's uncle stay with her aunt Debbie, the one who showed her the porn video? Um, and was the porn video incident reported to anyone? Um, ever since I first heard that story, and Jess and I talked about this last week, um, between recording, I just feel like there's so much more to that particular story of the uncle and the porn video because, it, you know, 
we're all adults. And I mean, if a 12 year old child begged and begged and begged for you to let them watch a porn video, nothing on earth is ever going to convince me to say yes, no matter how much they beg. So to me, it always felt like what was going on with this guy, this uncle who, I mean, was, was a young guy at the time. He was in like his early to mid twenties, but still, even at that age, you know, enough to never say yes to anything like that. And also, um, just the details of how she was watching it. Like, I, I don't know, like, was he watching it with her? Like, was he in the next room? Did he even know that she was watching it at the time? So there's a lot going on with that particular story that I think we still haven't found out yet. Yeah, and I still need to talk to him. I've been dragging my feet on that a little bit just because it's a hard thing for me to talk about. But what I want the family to know is that we're not saying these things to try to drag anybody. What I'm interested in is not so much the, well, I am interested in the act, but I'm more interested in what did Doreen say? How did that come across? Were there any indications she had watched it before? Why, you know, because he was there with that little girl before she died. Yeah. Well, so the impression that I got from the incident and Jess and I were actually talking, I, I may call him just so it's a more comfortable situation um, yeah. because it is a pretty awful thing to talk about. It, it seemed like it was just a really poor decision by a guy who I think thought he was cool uncle. And yeah. I think after hearing it so much, so much, so much, he made a poor decision. There doesn't seem to be anything else about this particular guy that would raise your cackles, as you like to say, that would cackles. make you hackles or whatever cackles. it is. I don't know. I, that word freaks me out. Um, but th there doesn't seem to be much else about this guy where you'd be like, oh, yeah. Which is mm. why, um, you know, somebody asked us why, why this hadn't come out much earlier. And again, this is something we've been trying to get the whole story behind before we just launch these things out on onto the airwaves. Uh, so we're, we're always trying to be cautious in, in, mm -hmm. in bringing up new information mm -hmm. out there because it's got to be verified. And here's a situation where we can literally talk to a, the first person account from the person who was involved. And we've been given an indication that he would be willing to speak, which makes me feel even better because people who want to speak, I clearly have nothing to hide. Right. Yeah. And, you know, somebody has been pointing out recently that it said Doreen had a pedophile for a family member in the newspaper. You guys, when we first came on that case, we were like, oh, yeah, it's Mark. Duh. Because we had all these allegations. He was taking photos of her in his underwear. So we leapt to that conclusion. But the pedophile in the family had to have been told to the newspaper by somebody. And right. it wasn't the maternal side. So I'm going to go ahead and bet that it was Mark trying to throw, um, you know, suspicion elsewhere. Uh, Mark did say in response to our podcast in the paper that uh, what we have to say about him turns his stomach. Um, and I'm wondering if it turns his stomach to hear that he sexually abused his uh, sisters-in-law um, per their own words back in the late 70s, uh, mm. you know. It turns our stomach, it, too. It turns our stomach, too. You know, I noticed that Mark hasn't really called that into question. It's about he never killed his daughter. He loves her more than anybody. But Mark never calls into question the allegations that he sexually molested two little girls. 
uh, repeatedly. So, um, you know, focusing on somebody else as being a pedophile, I think, is, is an, an action designed to take the stink off you. But that doesn't mean that we're not going to follow that particular lead. And uh, I think more importantly, this is not a hoax. This is an actual podcast. You, I don't right. even know what that insinuation or suggestion would mean. Yeah, I don't know what that word means in the context yeah. of which it was used. Like, yeah, this podcast actually does exist. We're right. sitting here. Uh, yeah. And the evidence does as well. Yeah. And again, I'll do what I do every time I come on here. Mark, if you want to sit down, I'll bring you all the all the evidence too. Uh, and then we can have a conversation. And t- to actually answer Barb's question here, uh, did Doreen's uncle stay with her aunt Debbie? No, he didn't. They're not. They divorced shortly after that happened. And was the porn video incident reported to anyone? No, it wasn't because, uh, as we mentioned when we first told you that story, um, when the family first told us about it, uh, they said, "Oh no, he was not a pedophile." Um, I have no reason to believe he was a pedophile. Um, it was just a really bad decision on his part. And that's kind of where that was left. Yeah. But again, it doesn't mean we're not going to be following up with it. I think, Sarah, you said to someone recently um, who was upset that it had come out later on the podcast, we do not owe parts of the story to anyone at any given time. Yeah. I mean, nobody, I, I mean, I think that there have been certain people messaging us privately who feel that they have enough of a stake in the story that they are entitled to certain things. And um, it's not about like how much notoriety you're getting and how, uh, you know, what what listener is more important than the other one. Um, our focus from the very beginning was to solve this case. Not It's not about anybody's ego or somebody... Um, feeling that they should be more privy than anyone else to or get a first look at information before anyone else. Well, we have to be careful with the information that we do have because much like the police, we don't want our investigation to be jeopardized in any way. Right. And, you know, we, we've been careful what information we share, even with people connected to the case, as not to a, influence their testimony Uh, Or to, you know, obviously in any way change the way they remember things. We try not to be leading in any way, shape, or form. And and again, so that's why there's information that we have that you don't have. And you probably, there's some you may never, you may never know. And you may never see the evidence behind it uh, at all. And just because you have a personal stake in the claim, I mean, I honor everybody in this case with a personal stake in it. But, you know, that doesn't mean that you're entitled to everyone else's personal information that you know you're not our junior detective and i and i say that with with respect but exactly like you said joe we're not just going to start tossing out bits of information to people that we can't necessarily trust Uh, trust to handle it uh with discretion um and and you know not report it to the wrong people either well plus you know look there's so much evidence that we've come across in this case and if I were to sit here and just cherry pick stuff, you know, for for whoever's benefit, you're you're not going to get the complete story. The three of us in this room have seen all of the evidence, all of it in context, in 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 a big picture fashion, and and that's why we're on here talking about the things we're talking about here. And um, again, call it speculation or whatever you want. 
we're forming these theories because we have all of this information, all of this evidence, all of these witness statements, all of these character witnesses. That's how we've come and, and, and developed this entire thing. So again, much like us with the police, and this is, this is what we were asking from them, was we wanted to see what they had. We were going to share our stuff. We just wanted the information they had so that we would have all of the information going forward in our investigation. It, 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 it's so simple. And right. what we could inform what they were looking at. But, you know, again, people with personal stakes in it want us to go down rabbit holes that maybe we're not so willing to go down. People are calling people out on the Facebook page about where they think they can cast blame, which is fine. You can say whatever you want, but we're not here to follow. We're here to follow direction when it makes sense and when it's logical and when we think we could benefit from it. We're not here to just do people's bidding. Really. I, I also only want to blame the person who is ultimately responsible or people, if that be the case. That's it. I, I, I Again, it, 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 this has never been about making the Wallingford police look bad. I, when, one of my first phone calls after we started working on this case was to a, one of the highest level police personnel in the state of Connecticut. And he said, Joe, the Wallingford police were not equipped to solve a case like this in 1988, and they probably aren't today. Okay? Right. Um, I've talked to and I'm friends with a lot of high-ranking law enforcement people in the state through my work on the radio and all the charity work that I've done with the police. And, and the, the police are very good people. And they, they, these guys spend probably more time doing charity than your average bear. Okay? Ton of respect for these guys. It's a tough job. It's a, a collaborative effort. Goes a long way. It's, it's not about disparaging anybody at all. It's where is this little girl buried? And, and can we bring her home so her family can give her the proper burial? And whoever's right. responsible will have, to, will have to suffer the consequences. Right. Yeah, she's out there somewhere. And, you know, if, if we keep doing what we're doing, I really do believe that we're going to crack this. I think so, too, because I've said multiple occasions, I think we've gotten so much further this season following Doreen's case than I ever could have by myself a year ago doing the Johnny Gosh case. And I think it's because of the collaborative effort that we've had here, the fact that we've had so many people come together, Jess being an attorney, knowing where to find all of this information and what questions to ask people, having the teamwork, and also being able to kind of come together when um, the trolls and the bullies <laughs> start to come out of the woodwork, because um, that's another thing that this podcast has seen a lot of along the way. I wasn't prepared for them. Sarah, I knew that you dealt with your fair share uh, with Johnny, but I was not. And I really don't want to talk about them very much because I just don't think they even deserve any I credit. I eat trolls and bullies for lunch. <laughs> Bring it. I love that kind of stuff. Well, someone told me, so I posted in the Wallingford forum yesterday and about the FOIA request, and I got yelled at for not you know, respecting the police. I said, it's not that I don't respect the police. They have questions that they need to answer. Um, I got lectured on what the law is. I got told I made numerous mistakes in my letter by a guy who couldn't manage to spell your properly. You know, that's fine. But then I was also told I was obstructing justice. I don't really understand how that works, but, you know... That's I'm just I'm trying to let it roll off my back. You guys know me. I take things really personally and I'm just trying to let it roll. Justice yeah. is extremely hard to prove. Right. 
even when there's like 10 instances of it. So I have one more question on my list here. Um, and I, I, I don't know if Jess, if you have more, we can get into more. Um, my question that I have here is from Barb. Um, were there any family members of Doreen's on either the mother or father's side who were on the police force? And no, there wasn't, but that is a very valid question um, because it really, it, it's kind of mind boggling. I mean, we just s spent this entire time here today just baffled at just all the evidence that we've collected and the Wallingford police still chooses to brush us off and not take or use any of it. One particular piece that I think needs some scrutiny and, and some more investigating is John Ragazzi. Oh yeah. And that whole thing with Teresa and the phone bill and who he was, who his associates he was with, and what exactly they were looking for in that phone bill. And I have reached out to a high-ranking member of the state police and am hopeful uh, I might be able to get some, at least some insight um, and, and maybe get some questions answered about why they would have been involved and again, I'm hopeful to have some information maybe in the next week or so that I could share on here uh, as far as who this guy was and what he had to do with this case and why. Yeah, and, and why his interest was so circumscribed to Teresa's phone records, um, and that was it. And I want people to know, too, I know it's hard to wait for these episodes, I'm sure. It's hard for me to wait for the episodes, and I'm on them. I'm like, Sarah, are you going to drop it? Yeah. Are you going to drop it? <laughs> but there's a lot going on behind the scenes, and I know we've faced some, I guess, constructive criticism about focusing so much on the sexual abuse recently and not necessarily on cop corruption or cop because the the Ragazzi thing is very weird. I'm here to tell you that we're focusing on sexual abuse, or we have been because... Um, it's there. The evidence is right in front of us. It's easy to, to plumb and to develop. And it also speaks to a motive. I mean, we know something happened to Doreen. We don't necessarily know why sex abuse, I think, is a huge part of that. But that doesn't mean we're not poking our noses into a bunch of different corners, you know, while we're not broadcasting. There is a lot going on. People message me all the time on this case. Can I can I talk to you about this? Can I talk to you about this? And I'm like, yeah, we've got a ton of irons in this fire right now. Um, so try to be patient. We're sorry, but we hope we're giving you guys what you need to try to piece this together. The people on the page are so intelligent. And they're so... They seem happy. Yeah. They're so intelligent and they're so good at taking what we say and putting putting the pieces together in a way that is familiar to us and theories that we've come up with, but also is saying things that I've never thought of before. Maybe one of them will kick over that stupid little rock that solves uh, the whole yep. case. Yep. Well, there's almost, as of today, there's almost a thousand followers on the page. So um, you guys have done a great job telling your friends. We appreciate that. And, uh, you know, keep, keep asking the difficult questions because that's what's going to get this case solved. Okay, so I think we can wrap up our listener question session for today. Um, 
we have only a few episodes left of this season. Um, the Just like with season one, this can't just go on forever, but that does not mean that there are not going to be updates after the season finishes. Um, we will, of course, let you know how the next few episodes will lay out and when the season finale of this particular season will be. And we are hoping to do another live stream just like we did with the first season. Um, as we talked about, there's a lot that we currently are doing. We have a lot of irons in the fire. Um, and it's getting to the point where we're pushing so hard that it would be bad if we just publicly revealed a lot of this information. So just to maintain integrity in the case, um, the season itself is going to wrap up soon. But please be assured we are going to continue with this and there are going to be updates after the season ends. And yeah, and as I go forward with that hearing for FOIA um, in August, um, we're preparing for that behind the scenes, again, keeping it close to the vest, but I will be reporting on that. And then, um, you know, as I continue the investigation, um, I will be bringing information um, relevant to that forward. Um, but that, that all remains unseen. I think the one thing we know is this started out being a podcast about Doreen and Doreen's case. And now there's a second question being raised. Why has this not been solved in 31 years? And there's a lot of answers that are, are coming out that are not just this case was hard to solve. So I'll be exploring all of that um, you know, as we, as we progress. And as I mentioned, we've been teasing it a lot. Um, our next episode after this, we are going to talk about the photos and how the photos came about and what we think has happened since to the photos. Um, so I want to thank Jessica Fritz-Aguire for coming in, as well as Joe Aguire, because everybody missed you so much. <laughs> so, so thank you, everybody, for listening to uh, this special episode, or I should say episodes, of listener questions. And we will be back next week. I'm Sarah Dimio. See you next time.